If you had three words that you would be given uh, the right to express on a billboard for free for a month, and they had to do with saying something about Jesus, what would it be? And many of you have expressed uh, Jesus is love, Jesus is the king, Jesus is the savior, Jesus is the one who is worthy, and on and on it goes. And if, uh, if I had control of the process, which ironically I kind of do, um, this would be what I would say. I believe all of that stuff and more so, but as I read through the Bible and I find that Jesus is, seems to always be kind of not going by the expected rules. He's always surprising people, oftentimes making people upset, but never uh, as he does that is he deviating from the plan that was from the beginning. And the other thing that I know about Jesus personally is that he is just a never-ending, unfolding mystery. That is, just when I think I got him figured out, He says, oh yeah, there's another side to this whole thing that I want to show you. And as a pastor, I think that's that's refreshing because it, it never gets old. The relationship that he has with each of us is unique to each of us. And it's always changing as far as what he's doing without changing the fact that we have a relationship, that he truly loves us, that he always is there for us. But almost like a parent. He speaks certain words at certain times in certain ways that are for our own best interest because we don't always see it. He loves the surprise. And sometimes we like surprises. Can anybody think of a, of a time when you got a surprise and you're like, oh wow, I just did not see that coming. That just blew me away. And maybe that's what you thought just not too long ago when this thing here showed up. Like, I didn't see that coming. But I got to be honest with you, I bet you you did. And then there are other surprises that we have that are, are just so from left field that we're, we still marvel at how somebody pulled that off. If you YouTube uh, uh, military personnel coming home to their families, oftentimes they'll orchestrate a surprise where they show up completely unexpected when everybody's off guard and when that happens to uh, converge where the person who should have been overseas is right there it's just amazing to see the look of shock on their faces isn't it now there are other kinds of surprises that we don't like it would be like going out to your mailbox sometime after you filed your taxes and you open it up and you see a letter in bold letterhead the Department of the Internal Revenue Service, with your name on it. That's a surprise. And you're looking at that thinking, that's not the kind of surprise that I like. And you're just opening it up like, hopefully the surprise isn't too painful, and you open it up, and it's like, thank you for paying your taxes today. We just wanted to write this letter because we don't have anything to do now, so we want to send this off to you. That's a nice surprise, isn't it? But I've also had one say, you know, you still owe us 100 bucks, and if you don't pay it, we're coming after you. At least that's kind of what I took the print to mean. Surprising nonetheless. Jesus, whenever he showed up on the scene, was constantly coming sideways into situations, and people were caught off guard, and, and many times it was a pleasant surprise because he had a good word to say when all they'd known is getting beaten down, feeling inferior, 
perhaps sensing that they were really not worthy of being even religious people. And on and on the list goes of how much Jesus resonated with them when he showed up because they felt so disconnected. Nice surprise. So so nice that they started, basically, uh, over the span of three years, they just started following him everywhere he went. Part of it may have been he had surprised them in a good way. Part of it may have been they were wanting to watch the show. They didn't know what he was going to do next. And maybe some of us have been one or the other. We like the surprise of knowing that God loves us and helps us in ways that show his hand of mercy on our lives at, at, at critical moments. But there are other times where we, as a spectacle, sort of like wonder what he's going to do and place bets on if he's going to do anything. And Jesus always has a plan and a purpose for why and when he surprises us the way he does. Now, if you can just take that whole idea and, and just suspend it for a moment and just imagine in the, in the time that Jesus in his ministry where it's getting ready to end and he's um, solicited a donkey so that he can essentially ride a mile from the city of Bethany on this donkey up to the Temple Mount. I think there's a map on the screen. Let's go ahead and put that map on there and that will give you a sense of where I'm going with that. If you look at the, uh, at the far right hand corner, that's Bethany and a mile away is the Temple of Jerusalem and Jesus is heading in that direction and as he does, he gets on a donkey and he rides it on in which in the minds of people in Jesus' day was very important and symbolic. It represented that there perhaps in God's purposes in this moment is the moment when the king will show up. You see, God's people knew from the past that all the prophets had anticipated that time when the true king would arrive and God's purposes would be fulfilled. But it was a surprise because the way he did it wasn't exactly the way that people thought it was going to happen. They actually thought it was going to be more like what happened about 175, 100, almost 190 years before. You see, if you, if, you, if you read the Bible and you start to kind of pick up what's going on, one of the things that, 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 that I've learned and I have to share with people, there's a whole backstory here. There's a whole history of why they hate the Romans and why they hate the Greeks and why they hate the Babylonians because all of those people at one time had invaded their country and had taken over. But there was one group of invaders that was very vividly on the minds of the people even almost 200 years later and that was the Greeks and the Greeks had come in and they, they, they went to that sacred place called the temple and they told the priests you're out of here get out of here with all your books because we are putting something new in this place surprise and the priests were kicked out and then they took all of the gold and all of the trappings and they melted them down for their own purposes and just to add insult to injury they took the most sacred part of the temple which was the altar and they sacrificed a pig on the altar surprise well if you're Jewish and you're kosher and you don't really believe that pigs are edible this is problematic 
It was so problematic that they were, they, they, they were galvanized against the Greeks. And they're like, we got to take them on. Thus enters the family of the Maccabees. And I just want to show you a 40 minute, 40 second video of, yeah. <laughs> surprise, it's only 40. Okay, it was 40 minutes, but because I like you guys, 40 seconds. Let's go ahead and show that. minutes uh, so we're just going to go with that and what happened here was this band of people said no and against all odds they took on um, their adversary and as they did God gave or somehow the victory uh, was um, was accomplished repeatedly there's a couple of books called first and second Maccabees which historically plot this out and in some Bibles, that, those books are included, but they're not entirely accurate in all their details. Well, if you can just take the Maccabean revolt and you can place it in the minds of the people who are tired of the Romans constantly picking their pocket along the way after they get paid, constantly beating them down, pushing them around, bullying them, and at times even putting in their face their, their pagan gods. They were, they, were, they were kind of sore from the heavy-handedness of five centuries of people beating them up. They wanted a king. And for a little while, they had a king in Judas Maccabeus. And when that king came into the, came into the city, it says, he entered it with praise and palm branches and with harps and cymbals and stringed instruments and with hymns and songs because a great enemy had been crushed and removed from Israel. You see, the agenda was simply this. We have bad people, no, we have wicked people inhabiting our land, distorting our, our heritage, and taking over all of our important um, sacred sites. And they beat them. And they knew that there would come a day when the Messiah would arrive and not only would this happen on the scale of Judas Maccabeus, this would happen on the scale that's global. And the religious leaders in Jesus' day were kind of like this about the whole thing. We can't wait. We can't wait till that comes. And they had pretty much set everything up so that when it came, they would be part of the whole ruling class. They benefited from that role already, socially and politically and economically, but they were anticipating that moment when the king would arrive, they would, they would honestly and sincerely assume they would be aligned with his purposes. The only problem with all of that is, on the way to the temple one day, Jesus shows up and he starts performing miracles and he starts attracting 
people, not just a few, but as time went on, increasingly more and more, under conditions that were not conventional. Associating with a woman at the well, which was taboo. Touching lepers, which was completely uh, you know, off the table. Looking at people that were tax collectors and welcoming them in. And acknowledging all manner of humanity in a way that only a loving God could who created all of those beings and all of their misfitness in his own image and likeness. Surprise. But Jesus came for those who were sheep without a shepherd, people that were lost. And it it was upsetting. It was upsetting to the people who weren't the beneficiaries of it. And maybe it's upsetting for you. I don't know. Because like so many things, we look at church and we look at Jesus and we look at prayer and we look at our life and we we want it all kind of locked down, don't we? We want to have everything in order in such a way that we can just settle it in our mind and say, that's that's how that is. And I used to kind of believe that I could... I could read the Bible, I could just kind of lock down who Jesus was and the intended purpose of the scripture. And once I had that all settled, then I would just kind of live it out. But what I discovered is that Jesus doesn't work that way. Sure, his word gives us guidance and it, and it leads us into truth. But it's the personal abiding presence of who he is interacting with us in any given moment of any given day with any given set of circumstances where he constantly surprises us. But before he becomes a personal savior, he has to actually become a a global savior and a global king. And this is where he surprises everybody. Let me ask you a question. What would it be like if Christmas and Easter were just kind of bundled into one day? Wouldn't that be awesome? Or would you be like, no, I can't get behind that, Pastor. Uh, We've got too many things going on at Christmas and too many things going on at Easter. I don't see those two paths ever converging. I mean, can you imagine the Easter bunny saving Christmas? You're like, what universe did I wake up in this morning? Because that's not how the story plays out. But interestingly enough, uh, when you look at that picture, or you look at this picture or the next one, of uh, just what a Christmas tree would look like if that were to happen. You know, flowers, or there's even some on Pinterest with Easter eggs hanging down from the tree. Little bunnies at the bottom, just waiting to be, waiting to surprise you with all of their emptiness. You know what I mean by empty chocolate bunnies. I'm not going to say any more. I'm going to trigger some PTSD from that. Well, take those two things, converge them together, and this is essentially what Jesus is saying. Now, in the scripture, we read in John chapter 12, verses 9 through 19, um, the verses that describe what the kids just demonstrated for us, and that is Jesus coming into the town, up the hill, onto the temple, riding on a donkey, and displaying for everybody what God's king would look like. Surprisingly enough, not everybody was on board, but many people were starting to clue in. And as I read these scriptures, let's go ahead and put the the first section up there. I want you to know in the backdrop of this story, at the end of chapter 11 and carrying over into chapter 12, is the story of this man, Lazarus. 
A guy who died unexpectedly, laid dormant in a, in a grave for three days when rigor mortis is starting to set in and then, surprisingly, brought back to life. And everybody's like, that doesn't happen. That is a thing. And many people were saying, perhaps if he has that kind of power, he has the power to be our king. And so that same crowd that was down there watching that miracle unfold in Bethany migrated up to the temple on a sacred day, Passover. The time that Jews never forget, even to this day, when God brought his people up out of Egypt and in towards the promised land. A defining moment in their national identity. And Jesus was riding a donkey up the hill on Passover to make a statement. And it all sounds pretty good, doesn't it? However, as we read this, we're going to find where it gets weird. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. It's like, is he really? Did they just do a parlor trick on us? Was that a Jedi mind trick this experience? And they wanted to know, but they, they believed. And then on, as John tells us more about how this unfolds, we read this. Go ahead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Jesus in the way. He died. He's back. He's in the way. They're, they're, they're not rational at this point. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. And this is hugely upsetting. Because if the kings come, they want to be on the bottom floor. Well, going on. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And let's just move on. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And the priests and the Pharisees and all those people are just like plugging their ears because this is not the script. They're going, no, 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 no. Wrong, wrong, wrong. They're very confused. And everybody else is starting to be a little bit confused because as we read a little farther, it says this. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. But that's not how Judas Maccabeus came in. He came on a very fine horse that symbolized strength and power and vindication. Now the disciples are looking at this and they're saying, we're confused. We don't understand this. Later on, in the rearview mirror, it all clicked together like Tetris. And all of these things that had been written about him, they just went back through the storyline again, and they're like, oh, they constructed the pieces of the storyline in a way that it would direct towards the agenda of the scribes and the Pharisees and the people that were opposing Jesus. But in reality, Jesus was sticking to the script a little closer, and they saw it. And what did Jesus do? Well, let me just make it personal and meaningful. How many of you like Christmas? Some of you? Some of you are like, you yeah, know, whatever. And then others, how many of you like Easter? 
How many of you like to hunt Easter eggs? Okay, just seeing. There's any kids in here? Everybody else is too mature for that. So I get it. Let's move on. How many of you agree that the two should be mashed up? No. No. But did you know that in chapter 10 of John, back in the winter, in verse 22, it said they celebrated the Feast of the Dedication. Do you know what the Feast of the Dedication is? If there's any Jewish people in here, you can weigh in. But if there's not, how many of you have heard of the Feast of Purim? Okay. Um, The feast when you have the lighting of the candles. How about the Feast of Hanukkah? You've heard the Adam Sandler song? You know. Hanukkah is the celebration of the victory of God's people, like we saw on the screen, over their enemies and the miraculous event that happened where the oil that was only supposed to burn one day burned eight days an entire week plus one, indicating that it was a miraculous event. And they would celebrate the Feast of the Dedication every year, even to this day. So when we're celebrating Christmas, the Jewish people are celebrating Hanukkah. And they're remembering what Judas Maccabeus did as he revolted against all odds, against their enemy. And they never want to forget that. But as the the, the clock spins around and seasons change. You move on into the Feast of the Passover where Jewish people will never forget that the Passover lamb passed over the people that were being called out of Egypt because the blood of the lamb was on the doorpost and the death angel would not visit their home. They never forgot it and they never will. So corresponding with that is our Easter. So it's almost like the two events on their side, in their tradition, and on our side, converge. But what Jesus does here is he takes, so are you with me? So he takes the Feast of Hanukkah and the Feast of Passover, and he says, I'm going to unite the two. One is celebrating a king, the other is celebrating God's deliverance through His great mercy and grace, the Passover lamb that was sacrificed on their behalf. And what if Jesus came to be the two? And what if symbolically he did the act of demonstrating that he was king while at the same time he accomplished the act of becoming the sacrifice necessary to secure his kingdom in such a way that people throughout time and space and into into history until he comes back would benefit richly from that. What if you could do all of those together? And that's what he did. But there's a lot of us that we're, 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 we're still wrestling with it. Maybe we're at a place where the mystery of Jesus is such that, well, I used to go to church, used to read the Bible, but kind of got it all figured out and it didn't go anywhere for me. And maybe Jesus is saying, maybe you should look again. Maybe you should give it another chance. Because maybe I have something to speak to you in this moment. Perhaps it's like something my my wife shared, a, a friend whose father had passed away and 
she walked out of the funeral home with her kids in tow and looked at her husband and said, we're going back to church. It was almost like God said, I have more to tell you. There's more than you realize. And maybe God's saying to you, at this season in your life, where you're at in your age, where you're at in your relationships, where you're at in your work, your career, in your insurmountable challenges, maybe in this season, I have a word for you that you've never heard before because you've never been in this place before. And maybe when Jesus did what he did, those guys had to be primed a little bit to see it. Bless you. Maybe raising his friend from the dead after three days was a way of saying, you've seen that happen? I'll show you that as it happens on a scale that is global. Maybe when Jesus was going up the hill on a donkey, he says, you remember in the Old Testament when that happened? Yeah, I'm doing that only... This king is going to be one whose kingdom expands way beyond the boundaries of what you've seen before. Maybe when that Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus is saying, you know all about that, don't you? Well, consider that from the standpoint of all of humanity having the opportunity to benefit from it. And a lot of people are like, I I can't wrap my mind around that, Jesus. What are you up to? And Jesus is full of surprises, isn't he? Now think for a minute about his adversaries. And don't get me wrong. If you had people come into your house and invade your home and take your stuff and then hang around and every time you walked out of the door said, we're going to bully you until you give us some of your money. Imagine that happening in your home. How would you feel? You would feel violated. You would feel angry. You would cry out for justice. You would long for a day when your adversaries wouldn't just be killed, but would just be blotted from the earth. Now the people in Jesus' day who were following Judas Maccabeus were looking at the landscape and they were saying, there are Jews here that are faithful to the tradition. And there are people here who are not. And this place is a mess. Our land is a mess because of them. And we need to, we need to get rid of them. And so the whole idea was we're going to purify the landscape of all the wicked people out there. And when the king comes, that's what he's going to do. Here's my question. What would happen if Jesus came and purified the landscape of all the people that violated God's will? Anybody in the room think they'd still be here? No. Because the reality is Jesus didn't come to purify the good people from the bad people. Jesus came to purify everybody from their sins because everybody needed purified. And one of the reasons why we're in this room and we have joy and we have peace and we have love and we have so many things that we did not have before we started coming to a place like this is because he's our king. And as a rightful king, he has authority over it all. But because you and I are not in any condition to be in his presence, 
He's our Savior. Surprise. He's both the feast of dedication and the feast of Passover. He is both the king and the Passover lamb. He is the, he is the temple and he is the priest. He is everything that has been pointing to the things of God since time immemorial, bundled into one person. And the most beautiful thing about all of that is that he came to get you. There's no one in this room that Jesus says, yeah, this won't work for you. How do we know that? Because all the surprised people that cross his path in the gospel story will tell you, I didn't go to church. I didn't go to temple. I didn't do any of that stuff because, well, I was kind of shut out of it all. But when I saw him, the face of God in the face of Jesus, I was not just surprised, I was blown away. I'm just using words to describe what words can't. So that leaves us in two places here. At the end of this chapter, John writes, When the Son of Man is lifted up, I will draw all men to me. And it's a way of saying that everything that Jesus embodies, everything about his posture of love, forward-leaning towards each of us, is a way of attracting to him that thing inside of us that's been so empty for so long. And he's like, you know that thing that's been so empty? Can I come and stay there? Because you're filling it with a lot of stuff that ain't getting it. It's not working, is it? But it will work if you invite me in. So every Sunday, by the grace of God, volunteers, co-workers, Myself, we try to make that known. The more you see him in our faces, hopefully, the more it becomes real. The less you see him in our faces, the more it rings hollow. So we have a big responsibility. But it's not just us. Because if you're part of this story, your friends need to see it in you. Because words don't always get it. So I'm just ending this message as we pivot from those words on a billboard that may or may not have spoken to you or surprised you to looking ahead towards what Jesus had to go through and how it makes all the difference. But we are at a place where along the way Jesus just stops us, hits the pause button and says, are you ready to come on board with this? Because I came for you. And what I've shared with you and what he's done for us, I don't know of a person on the planet that it wouldn't make a difference in their lives. I don't know a person on the planet who would say, yeah, that's not for me. And they're hung up in their anger or their 
or their hang-ups or their addictions or their brokenness. And many of us can tell you who've been doing this for a while, it is so cool and so surprising to see each time it happens a person going from that state of brokenness and lostness to a state of being clear-minded, filled with joy, and even having the reservoir of God's love in them overflowing into people around them. Even introverts. It's amazing. And maybe some of you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And others of you still got the blind spot and you can't see him yet. And if that's the case, we'll keep praying that you will. But if he's come out of nowhere and you've seen him, now's the time to respond. I was driving back from Cleveland the other day to see a friend in the hospital. And um, I thought, well, I'm going to go to Five Guys in Fairlawn and have a hamburger because I haven't eaten anything all day and it was like four o'clock. And I'm just famished. I'm just, I've been there. I can't wait. I'm driving down the off-road there and I drive up to Five Guys. I'm like, there's no cars. Matter of fact, there's a dumpster in front of Five Guys. I was crushed. I even pushed the speed limit to get there. Maybe that's God's sense of humor. I don't know. But I'm like, what do I do now? I mean, honestly, I had it locked in. I, I couldn't even think of eating anything. So I pulled into the strip mall right next to it. And I'm just looking at each of the places and I don't recognize anything. There's an organic health food store. There's a, a, a Phoenix sub, which I, I just heard of the other day. And then I look down and I'm like, you haven't been paying attention to the road, Leonard, and there's a car coming right at you. And I came this close to having a head-on collision. Surprise! And I didn't get hit, and I was surprised about that. And the other person, I'm thinking, had nice words to say about a pastor visiting somebody in the hospital. They had been visiting me in the hospital after they got done with me. And I thought, you know, God's angels surprise you sometimes because I'm sure that's what carried me through. And as I'm just pondering all of those things, I recognize something. One, God just shows up in timely ways, perhaps when we're not in any condition to do well for ourselves. And the cross is a bold statement about that. And the other is God shows up in your life and mine. He wants to deal with that one thing that my wife's car also has. It's called a blind spot. It's our inability to see it. And he wants to reveal to us what we haven't been seeing the whole time. And those who've had the blind spot and have overcome, you know. But others, you may be like, this stuff doesn't resonate with me at all. And maybe the blind spot is because, well, there is a blinder who was defeated on the cross who doesn't want any of you to know about the cross, doesn't want any of you to know about the Passover lamb or the king who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he'll do as much as he can to keep you distracted so you can't see him. And my prayer for you or anybody that is in our circle that we know personally that is in that place is that God would just pull down the shade on their blind spot and help them to see, help you to see perhaps 
what God has for you. And I just end this message with that appeal. If God is working in your heart today, and you know that his nudging and tugging and perhaps even, even, even just kind of overtly using the circumstance to direct you his way, God may be saying, what's keeping you from becoming a part of my family? What's keeping you from getting baptized and just identifying once and for all, yes, that was the moment when I swore allegiance to him. And for those of us who have, maybe God's saying to you, let me surprise other people through you for once. Take a few risks. Do things that you wouldn't normally do in the godly kingdom way and just see what happens. Because I will be with you always to the end of the age. Father, we thank you for your word as you've just disclosed to us the revelation of the true king and the true Passover lamb. As we move into Easter and we think about this message, I just pray for everyone in the room that if we have a person in our world that needs to hear it, that we would be used as that pathway and maybe the only pathway. And that if there are circumstances emerging in lives in this room or around us, help us to see you working as well. And for those who just want to overcome the dominion of darkness and all of its blinding effects, help us, Lord, to lead whoever that may be to your feet so that you can surprise them in ways that parallel your surprises for us. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.